0: Hey, this is the first of the last batch of recordings from last year's ATX Television Festival. The best television festival in Austin, or anywhere. Uh, It really is fun. If you guys haven't been to ATX, what's stopping you? Uh, This year it is June 7th through 10th uh, in Austin. You can go to ATXFestival.com to get badges. Uh, They've already announced a whole bunch of awesome things for this year's lineup, including um, a whole thing, a whole conversation with Freeform about the sort of shows they're doing and uh, millennial programming. Uh, they got folks from Queen Sugar coming. They've got folks from Drunk History doing an interactive panel. Uh, The new uh, audience network, Condor, based on uh, Three Days of the Condor, Uh, there's a TV show, and that's going to be there. Uh, American Woman, a whole bunch of really cool things. So that's the stuff that's already announced. There's even more great stuff coming. Once again, it is June 7th through 10th in Austin, uh, atxfestival.com to get badges, which do it.
1: So I'm going to go ahead and introduce Deborah Birnbaum, who is going to
2: moderate, and she's going to introduce our panelists. Hi, oh my God, hi everyone, how are you doing? <laughs> well, I don't think you're here to see me, but I'm very excited to talk about not the president, because I think we've had more than enough talk about that president. So let's talk about the other presidents, the presidents we like. Let's t- <laughs> Am I betraying my biases too much? Not at all. Let's start with Craig Arrick, the head of content at Hulu. And let's bring out Jennifer Salky, the president of entertainment at NBC. Casey Bloys, the president of programming at HBO. Nick Grad from FX. And Gary Levine from Showtime. All right, so you're all presidents. You get to issue an executive order. (laughs) (laughs) It comes with the job title, I understand. Um, What would your first executive order be if you got to be president? Of a ne- well, you're presidents of a network, but imagine you got to do a unilateral executive order. What would your executive order be?
3: A no-asshole policy. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm going to second that. I like that.
5: Yeah. Everywhere. So, so you're saying, like, if I'm, based on the example in our country, so if you're president, you get you to be, you're the boss. You just get to you're do the whatever boss. the fuck you, get you get to want, right?
2: You do whatever you
5: want. Um, I guess make sure everyone has to somewhat be profitable.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> Naming any names there?
5: <laughs> I think
6: that uh, people in Hollywood give too many gifts to each other. So that's—I I agree with that. Yeah.
3: We don't
5: need gifts. We don't. Are you ta- what are you talking about?
3: <laughs> I, we don't need anymore.
5: I used to get like TVs. I don't get yeah, anything no. anymore. I, I, don't, I get, don't need a bicycle. I don't need any more gifts. bicycles. No, I think the <laughs> gifts should go up a little more. No more sweatshirts. No more.
6: Yes. Nope.
5: No more fleece. <laughs>
1: You can just take out the stitching of yeah. the fleece, whatever show it is. Okay. I'm a billboard at the gym when I go with all yeah. my swag. Um, I guess my executive order would be to ban series orders off of pitches. Let's actually develop something okay. and, uh, and do it right.
2: How important is brand identity to you? Is that something that you know feels like defines your networks?
4: Uh, absolutely. Very, very important. Always has been. I think that's all you. I mean, that's all you have, really.
5: I mean, I I sort of consider myself. We have the most amazing marketing department, but to some degree, I'm a I'm I'm marketing a brand by the by the portfolio of shows that we have, and so I also think if you don't, first of all, if you don't have a brand, I think the the way the the world is going right now, you're 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 going to be kind of up shit's creek. But I also think that. It it helps you make decisions, and I think you can actually be more efficient with your development, spend what you kind of reach for by having a brand. If you're trying to, if you don't know who you are, you're just going to be flailing about, just throwing spaghetti at the refrigerator.
4: So I I was, I I do think you need to. I think it's you do have to have a brand because it helps you, you know, pick what to develop. But also, you can't always let it lock you in because you know. Um, I did not develop Game of Thrones, but I was there when it aired, and I remember a lot of re- response was, that doesn't seem like a Game of Thrones show. You know? So you have to be aware of how the brand can evolve. It um, doesn't have to be just one thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's, you know, flexibility within what the brands are. We sort of found our way to this brand that feels very sort of human and positive. And it's not just This Is Us. It's The Voice. It's a lot of uh, other shows, including, you know, the comedies. and. I think you do have to be flexible, though, because a lot of people would have said that This Is Us didn't feel like a network show. But to me, it felt very much on brand with where we wanted to be. And um, I think it's a good example of kind of stretching outside toward a feeling and, a, and a, a quality that you are looking for.
2: I mean, talk about This Is Us, because it was developed at another studio and then brought to you. How does that feel for you in this era where there's so much pressure on vertical integration?
3: Um, Well, the pressure, there is pressure for vertical integration, but I wouldn't say there's, you know, overlord pressure that we need to supply from our own studio. We will always buy the show from wherever it comes, the great show. Likewise, the thing that feels a little scary and maybe off-brand, but, you know, there's a Venn diagram that seems to be, you know, lining up for us, we would step out of our comfort zone. I never doubted, I never thought for a second, oh, shoot, you know, this is in a... A universal show. I just was like, we have to have the show. So I think you can't let greatness, there's so few things that come through that are truly inspired. You have to jump on them no matter what they are. And, you know, certainly at the same time, I'm trying to build studio assets that can help us, you know, be able to continue to take the financial squi- swings that we want to take uh, running this business, this crazy business.
1: I mean, we're incredibly proud at Showtime of the breadth. Of shows that together make up our brand, rather than sort of having a brand that's a funnel that you have to squeeze through. You know, from the uh, the extravagant opulence of billions to the uh, irrepressible poverty of uh, Shameless, and uh, from the global thriller of Homeland to the uh, to the intimate uh, relationship drama of The Affair. You know, I I, I think I think we we try to keep expanding. What defines the brand of Showtime and yet still hope and believe that within that wide range of shows, there is something in the DNA of each of them that makes you understand why it's on Showtime?
2: Craig, how would you define the brand of hulu?
6: Um well, I think it's
1: evolving. Um,
6: you know we're kind of we're trying to continue to build upon our success, and you know, I think when we started, we really were. Um, trying to make great shows and then kind of connect the dots of what was responding uh, with our audience. I mean, the, what we, the word we talk about most is relevancy. You know, we want to be in the conversation. It's critical for us, um, not just from a creative point of view, but from a business point of view. I mean, we are, we're in a subscription business, so we need to have people talking about us. Um, and there has to be a feeling that what we're doing is premium because we're literally asking people to pay for the, to pay for the product. Um, so that relevancy while being entertaining is really where we aspire to be.
2: You've obviously had great success just now with Handmaids.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan.
2: <laughs> How has that changed the conversation for you?
6: Um, well, I mean, first and foremost, it's something that you know all the employees at Hulu are extraordinarily proud of. It's been really special and galvanizing to the organization. Um, it's definitely set the bar for us in terms of quality. And again, kind of seeing us talked about um, in a very special way. Um, so you know, we, I think all of us, I think the entire TV business, what's great about it is you're constantly, the bar is constantly being raised. So we don't just do it for ourselves. Other people do it for us. So when there's a, a hit show on another network, that becomes the new bar. So we just put one up there.
2: We've heard a lot about peak TV. (laughs) What does it take for a show to break out in this climate of you know four hundred, five hundred scripted series on the air? What is it that what is that magic formula?
3: I mean, when I think about it, it's really it's always amazes me that these shows can break out in a world where there's so much and there are so many talented people that are able to make things right now and get them out in the world. And you know, obviously, you know, it's there's whatever 400 500 and climbing you know numbers of shows um and and also other competition for people's time to do so many other things and it's just you know, you I, you just have to keep striving for something really inspired, and then you've got to have a good strategy, and obviously marketing is so important, and digital marketing, and how are we reaching audiences that aren't watching traditional promos? I can speak mostly from a network uh, point of view only, because it's it's been like, you know, shifting the Titanic in so many ways. So. It's uh, it's really hard. The stars have to align, but I really do believe great things like Handmaid's Tale, like shows on every one of the platforms that these guys represent, and that you know these shows are contagious. You feel them in the halls. They they are bigger than shows uh, themselves, and those things I think always will find a space, even if there's a thousand choices of things to watch.
5: I mean what's great is is also is you don't have to come out of the I, I think there was a time where you had to come out of the gate and if you know you just didn't have a successful same day ratings for your pilot for your first episode you were kind of dead in the water there was no way for people to catch up we want things to to obviously break through i mean it was amazing to me that atlanta came out of the gate you know in the first season with such buzz and such ratings I sort of expected all those things to happen in season two because that's what had happened with Louie and Archer and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which it became a word-of-mouth conversation. But I think it goes back to if the show is great, people will talk about it and you will find an audience. It happened with the Americans. It, you know, If it's there, people hopefully will discover it. And sort of being original and being great will help you cut through the clutter.
2: How patient are you willing to be?
5: I think I look I think it's I think it's a function of a of of so many things. I mean obviously it's it's somewhat related to budget but it's it's sort of about what what role is that show play you know what value are you getting out of that show? It, the Americans is not lighting it on fire from a ratings perspective but it's invaluable to us. It's one of it's you know I think it's the best show on television, one of the best shows on television and you know it gets nominated for awards and people talk about it and you know, you can't you can't put a price on that. So, as long as we're getting some value out of it, that's that, those are the shows we want to keep.
3: Right. Like I can't. I, I know Casey the least, but I know like all these people will back quality so if it if you can make some sense of it and you're not you know it's not a ridiculous piece of business and you believe that it can catch on and that you have something there i think all of us work at companies that will stand behind that and i think you know the measurement for success has changed the, the way things are measured i don't wake up anymore with like a pit in my stomach at four forty five to look and see if like my show that i love is dead or alive on arrival well, sure. If it's dead, dead, you kind of know. As he said, you're not going anywhere from there. So I might like do like a fake one-eyed look. Do they um, still have
4: the phone number you call to get yeah. ratings? No, I don't, I don't have that.
3: But I remember that <laughs> you dial a number and some person had to get up at like crack of dawn and record yeah. all that. No, it's you know, it's you. You get it. We get a report. You know, look at like a show like This Is Us. It, the rating's a 1 7 in the live view, and it'll be down. It'll be down as sure as there's gravity. All these live numbers are going to go down for us. And an hour later, that rating is doubled and then tripled and so on. So you get an accounting of these shows that's a much bigger. View of of what they are and then you look at them in terms of is there a vision here do I believe in this do I think this is going to catch on and then you know to be able to have our shows on Hulu and Netflix and have audiences discover them a year after they've been on and come back to a second season it's just a very different business and as you know it changes it's changing every hour as we're sitting here
4: I I do think We've gone through a little bit of a process with the press over many years to try to explain that the Sunday ratings, while important, yes, yeah. you're, you're the press representative. The Sunday, morning, uh, Sunday ratings, while important, you know, for us, it's maybe 30% of the total, and that's just going to continue to go down. I, was, um, I think Game of Thrones, when we started on digital platforms, uh, amount, uh, accounted for about 2% of the total, and now it's about 26% of the total of viewing, and that's only going to go up. So the, the, where people watch, how they watch, obviously, is, is shifted.
6: I think, I think the other thing for us, and I think probably for all of us, is it's not just so much how many people are watching, but what's their intensity of relationship to the show. Um, you might have a show that does maybe not the biggest audience, but if it is a bunch of those people's favorite show, and if the economics bear out, then it's a show you can stick with.
4: I like a show that generates think pieces. Honestly, because it is an indication of this is a show that people are thinking about, analyzing, debating, um, and that that's important.
1: I also think you know peak TV is a great subject for panels and uh, and essays. That only took ten minutes to get that phrase out. (laughs) (laughs) But but in terms of our jobs, you know we're really we don't we don't live in the macro. We live in the micro, and and I think for us it's really. Carefully building a show, and 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 keeping that pure and, and perhaps naive, uh, but hopeful mantra that you know if you build it they, properly, they will come, and uh, and and that seems to be the case. And I and I think it's 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 the reason all of us have had the the, the successes we've had, and and one success of one of us doesn't impinge upon the success of the rest of us.
2: So and then on the flip side, what makes you decide to then cancel the show?
3: To me, when it, the show is upside down financially and there's no galvanizing force of passion around it and the showrunner struggling with his vision or her vision, and it's just the show is pushing a rock up a hill without all the you know, bells and whistles that come with there's something here just hanging there. We very much listen to that. I mean, it's about and fan engagement. These guys just talked about it. It's like, are people talking about the show? Is it creating communities, or are you losing kind of passionate core, you know, fans of it right away? Or did they never build? And then sometimes it's heart. You know, it's often heartbreaking, but you have to just uh, cut bait. And we're obviously all in business to make money. I think we're in a time now where people can tolerate breaking even while we continue to evolve a digital Not in abstra- world. Strategy yeah. in my world. <laughs> so it's, you know, we can tolerate that for a minute because we've seen it flip on us with being able to monetize the digital views in a way that we didn't think was possible. So you see things picked up on our schedule. You might ask why is something that was a 0. 0.7 could be ordered. It's ordered because we figured out a way to monetize it. So we're not losing money on any shows. But that's really the, the sort of prism you have to put it through. But it, I think it comes down to sort of passion and, you know, where's the show sit financially on the P&L?
1: I think, in our subscription universe uh that Casey and I share and and Craig um, you know the criteria a little different if you love it and if people love it, the numbers are are far less important, you know, and so it really is sort of your continuing love of it and belief in a show and feeling that that love is being returned by some. Part of the of the audience and, uh, and and some part of the world, you know, it could be could be awards, could be media coverage, could be buzz, could be think pieces. Um, it, there are many different criteria, but if if you believe in that show and believe that the people making it are on their way to to greatness, we have the luxury of sticking with it uh, for a very long time.
5: I think uh, my boss John Langrough said um, I think at uh, TCA a year ago. um, the audience gets a vote, we get a vote, critics get a vote. I mean, and if you can get two of those, two of those three, you're probably going to stay on the schedule. Yeah. That makes sense to you. You know, how you measure the audience now getting a vote, you know, is, it gets into complexity. You know, obviously you have to be very patient with waiting for all the, the real numbers and, and that takes a long time to get, and and, and it's a question of, it's a function of, of passion of, of those viewers, too.
3: And the CFO gets a little vote. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How competitive is the marketplace now to land a project, given that there are so many people now vying for, you know, hot projects that are out there? And what does it take for you then to land that project?
4: Do you have to go straight to series, as you mentioned? It dep- Each project is different. It depends. Uh, I mean, it's... There's a lot of packages, some of them sell quickly, some of them you know that I think will sell don't. Um, it really just depends. Um, and you just have to evaluate it case by case. A lot of it is what do you need? you know what is your network missing, and um, where do you want to go programming wise? So I think you have to be open to all of it
6: it's, I mean it's an extraordinarily frothy market. Um, but I, uh, I agree with Casey, and I, I agree with Gary in terms of his uh, his wish list. Um, it's very, very competitive, but I think that you have to kind of... You just have to pick and choose when you're going to go for it. You can't do that on every single one, you know? And it, it goes towards what are you passionate about, what do you believe,
5: and where, where are you willing to take educated chances? Yeah, I, look, I believe... I, I, I echo what Gary was saying earlier. I, you know, I believe in... I believe in the script process, I believe in the pilot process. I think you learn so much from from developing a script, then you learn so much from the pilot process. You know, we, we from the amount of pilots we do, I mean, I think we, we're at like 90%, maybe 92% from pilot to series. So we usually go forward, but we learn so much on it. and. You know, I think when you're jumping into straight to series or from a pitch to a pilot, I mean, I just lost something to Craig that was a pitch that he made a pilot commitment on, and it's, what are you going to do? You just, you have to be very. You guys going to drink it, it out
3: later? <laughs> <laughs> I think it also,
5: it depends. Yeah, and it depends. What was
6: the
3: project?
5: Oh, well, oh
2: my
3: I'm god, ready? it wasn't. Yeah, come on. Uh,
6: you know? It I, depends. I, you know, it also, I think it depends. Um, I agree. It depends where you are in your business too. I mean, we are. You know, Hulu is still scaling up. Um, so I don't know, you know, we started off more in a kind of a straight-to-series business because we needed shows on the air quickly. Um, it is certainly fraught with risks, and it, it's not for people of weak stomachs. <laughs> um, but to be competitive every once in a while, you have to do it. But I agree, the, you know, the, there is a reason that you there is a kind of inherited development process.
4: I also, you know, the network learns a lot. We just of lost
6: out to Casey on something, actually. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> We, we, we all lose things to Casey. No, but, but what I was going to say, I, uh, I'm, I'm
4: a big fan of the pilot process as well, because not only does does the network learn something, but the showrunner sometimes yeah. goes in thinking that the show is going to be one thing and, you know, turns it a certain way based on casting or based on um, how things are playing. You, it is an educational process. So it, it started to, for some, you know, the straight to series became a, weirdly, like a mark of respect. Like you didn't, you thought less of someone if you didn't give them a straight to series order. But it really is a valuable process to get to get things right.
3: And overseeing the studio and kind of having the hand in strategizing where a lot of our deals want to go, if they are determined to go set their show up on any of these other platforms, you know, I think we've gotten to a point where they they'll have they want to have the conversation. They want to hear why I think the show could work on NBC. And then we really just have a meeting of the minds on what's the best place for the project. And it's hard because sometimes you like with Kimmy Schmidt and other things, I have to make, you know, the decision with others to let the show live where it has the best chance of succeeding. Um, but if we're dealing with people who are Thinking something's a network show, or they still they have a lot of affection for network, which there are a lot of people left that still do who are really talented. That I feel like you know NBC's in a good position to to get those things, but it's all about talent relations for me. That's my kind of. If you don't, if you're not relating to talent and getting them to trust you and believe that you have their back, you're kind of just out there with everyone else, sort of putting putting your hand out.
2: Um, Jen is the broadcast representative on the panel. Do you feel pressured
3: to be be able to offer shorter episode runs to compete? Yeah, we have to, we have multiple rise. The new Jason Kadam show is a ten episode order. Um, Reverie the, is a ten episode order. I think you know we are. Will part of it is scheduling. Part of it is creative. So Dan Fogelman wanted to do sixteen episodes of This Is Us. We decided eighteen was the right number for the way it laid in the schedule. We're making eighteen. We picked it up for two more years, so lots more episodes coming. But like we looked at Rise, there was a perfect run for a straight, you know, ten episodes of Rise. You know, in the in midseason with the Voice, and we just thought this is a awesome place for the show, great opportunity. Who wants three dangling episodes? And I think kind of the press is starting to understand that if we said it was thirteen and now it's ten, it's not like oh they've lost confidence. There's a smarter strategy afoot.
2: Casey, you just had obviously a lot of success with Big Little Lies and Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> Has that opened the door? I mean, we saw now Julia Roberts now it wants to, you know, is going to be making a, a project with you. Has that opened the door to more movie stars?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the the. Everybody always says, you know, the, the, uh, everybody will do TV now. And even when I, when I got to HBO 13 years ago, people said that. And it wasn't really true. You know, people would occasionally maybe do a movie or something like that. Um, but I, I think any, any star, you know, if the material is good, uh, will do a show. I, I really do. I don't think there's any, uh, I don't think there's anybody, actor or actress, who has not contemplated it. I don't think there's anybody who's not gettable. Yeah, you, know, I, you certainly have a lineup as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, we, we've we been doing limited series as well. And, you know, they are a double-edged sword, you know. On the one hand, they're events. You can do some material that really is finite uh, and and works. Though I must say, everyone who comes in to pitch a limited series ends by saying, and we know what to do in season two. <laughs> That's true. <strong. laughs> That's now the thing. But the, the, the other side of the double-edged sword is we've had a lot of success in luring... Great actors to television to do ongoing many many year series and uh and if those actors can play in the TV sandbox and only commit to eight hours one season that's tempting and and uh, and with very generous fees to boot and <laughs> and and in some How ways generous. you know in some ways we may be you know um, you know hurting ourselves because you know the uh the, 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 the Brass Ring still is the long, ongoing series where a network invests in a show, an audience invests in those characters, and, and, and the love flows in all directions for, for many, many years. And um, I think, you know, the limited series are great, a, a lovely complement to that, but by no means a substitute for it. And in some ways, they may be undermining our ability to get... Some of those actors.
4: I I think it should also. You should also point out, you know, if you think about, you know, big shows the last ten years, you know, Sopranos, Breaking Bad, um, uh, Handmaids, uh, American, Americans, no movie stars. They're not necessary to um, to launch a show. I mean, they're not. You know, it's nice to have great actors, but I don't think it
6: should be a requirement. I, I also think that I agree about the double edged sword because I also think. One of the things that TV does really well is I think the audiences love discovering people, um, so the arms race of big talent I think sometimes can take away from that. And if you look at the movie business, just because if you have a big star doesn't mean you're guaranteed box office success. So it's it's not it's a it's it gives you a comfort and it's definitely a way to make an event, but it is not a, a recipe oh a guaranteed recipe for success. Cast,
5: casting is a process and and it's about you know, matching the right, you know, performer to the right role. And there are no rules about it. And we'll, we'll, we'll pivot based on just a gut feeling or however our, our, our creators feel. And so th- it's not Look, I'm a huge Yankee fan. I feel like they had a terrible period where they were just buying the highest priced free agent. And that does not, that does not always equal success. So it's, 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 a it's, there's no guarantee that you have this. By the way, there's no guarantee movie stars can open movies. You know, it really all depends on the project. So it's not like every Tom Cruise movie makes a billion dollars. You know, it's all depends. on The last on one just the did. Project. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a very complicated, you know, process of chemistry.
3: And this is us is a good example of that. I mean there's some great actors in there but there's it's not it's not huge stars and some real discoveries that have broken yeah, out in an incredible stars. way yeah exactly so when you have now Chrissy Metz on a cover with you know Oprah Winfrey and Reese Witherspoon it's like it's just amazing and so like Craig said I think people love those stories they love to make a star
2: and um, Gary, back to your point about season two, so you've got these great successes with season one, you know, how do you then you know, recapture that for season two? So I'm not going to let you get away with answering the question about Big Little Lies
4: season two. Well, I mean, we've, we've been pretty open about... Um, it was based on a novel with a beginning, middle, and an end, and the creative team really did have a great time. So, you know, they went to Leanne and said, could you ever... You know, you know these characters best. Could you... Are there any stories that would make sense? she's thinking about it I don't know I mean it, it is tough I agree um, it has to be really good the bar is very high but um, I don't bigger, think
5: bigger littler <laughs> <vibes.
3: you> know.
4: <laughs> we got There's the poster I like it
3: bigger litter, littler
4: <laughs> bigger small. Big, um, but uh, I don't think this group is going to do something you know they've they've you know they've got lots of movies and other things to do so they're only going to do something if it rises to that they
3: did seem like they had fun on Instagram they,
4: yeah they really did <laughs> It
3: was a great like, group. They, they just like.
4: And I mean, the, not just the actresses—Jean-Marc, uh, uh, David, Kelly—the whole group worked really well together. It was a great experience for everybody. So. We'll be waiting.
2: Um, we've gotten pretty far into this without talking about Netflix. They finally have started to cancel shows. Does this show that they're human after all?
4: <laughs> have they canceled shows? Did you report on that? No, <laughs>
2: Yes, we reported on it. I will pass around my phone again, teasing
5: me yeah i mean look i'm I'm yeah, I'm glad they're canceling shows like i, 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 I it's good i mean you know I, I don't know what their ratings are, but they, they obviously have to start making decisions. They can't have you know ten thousand shows on, so the, the, you know I think it 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 brings them sort of back in the ecosystem of where we're all trying to. Um, you know, kind of make the best shows and make the best decisions. I, you know, I I, I rescind what I said before about making a profit. Like, their business is, they don't have to be profitable now, that's fine, that's that's their business, and we have a different business, and it's actually quite petty to complain about it, so uh, let me rescind that comment I made before. Um, We just have to, they have a lot more shots, we just have to do better.
2: No one else biting on that one?
5: (laughs) I mean, they're capitalists.
6: So I assume they are, at any given time, making the best decision that they think is in the interest of their business. So if canceling shows is at the phase where they are, it makes sense.
2: What keeps you all up at night? What worries you?
3: How low the linear live rating can go, which is, I think, very low.
4: You know, shows a show coming together is lightning in a bottle. You know, um, there are so many elements that can go right or wrong. So on any given night, it is some, you know, script, piece of casting, director, something that I think, oh, it's not going to work out. I mean, that that sort of thing, the, the details of of the shows.
5: Yeah, I mean, there's so much to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I I think we all I think the business of um, I'll use Hollywood in quotation marks like the the entertainment business. We we I think we we make programming. We do a really good job of it. And I think what's great is you know you just worry about like the lack of home runs. And I think if there are not enough big hits out there, you know um, it's it's sort of. Like, people thrive. Like, I'm so glad about This Is Us because I think it just makes people believe in it again. And I think if everything gets too fragmented, sort of no one believes that there's, like, this kind of big, you know, jackpot at the end of the rainbow. And I think I think it's good to have a world where there can be big hits and you can write a check to, a big check to talent, which is one of the best parts of the job. So I, I hope that we can still have more, um, big hits in our business.
6: I mean, I, I agree with Casey. It's, you know, you, you get behind these shows, you have a fantasy vision of, that you share with the creators of what you want it to be and what you hope it will be and what you hope people will react to it. Um, but you worry about, you know, is it going to come together and will people love it as much as you do? Cause it's a, it
1: can be a vulnerable place to be. I sleep really well at night. Um, I don't know. I may be shallow. Um, no, it's funny. What wake? It, actually, I go to sleep easily, and I may get up at four, three thirty, or four in the morning with a start, and uh, and, it, and it usually is about you know smaller creative matters. You know that story, that actor, that director, that issue on on that particular show. You know, I mean, we you know. We, are, uh, we have highfalutin titles, but we really are you know, on the line working and molding and cajoling uh, each, each little piece of the puzzle. And those little pieces uh, occupy a lot of brain space.
2: Talk about that process. I'm always so interested in the notes process and how you work with your showrunners. Talk about a note that you gave that maybe turned a show around or made a big difference in it. And I'd love to hear specifics
1: well um okay I'll start um uh look it's a delicate process um, you know there there have been you know networks that that speak with pride about leaving leaving their artists alone and letting them do what they want um, the, at showtime we take great pride in collaborating with our artists um, and uh and um they are they they get to decide but we're going to like like any wonderful writer has a great book editor um, you know we're objective eyes and and we can bounce things off them and again we have complete confidence in them ultimately to do what their vision is but they're also you know buried with with 42,000 things coming at them at, at at all different moments and we have a little a little distance and kind of remember where it all began you know and remember that thing you were going for let's let's keep going for that um, so if I was going to point to one, um, and I hope there's more than one good note I've given, um, uh, I would bring up, um, oh, Homeland. Okay. The, uh, Homeland was a, good a, one. was a spec script. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good one. Homeland, Homeland was a spec script that, um, based on an Israeli format where Howard Gordon and Alex Ganza, um, did a lot of, a lot of big adaptation from the Israeli to a spec script that they wrote. They're on a deal at Fox, and, and they went, I think, to network and, and inside first. Um, and uh, and um, David Nevins had just come to Showtime at the time. He was rabid to get this. And luckily, um, based on circumstances and the relationship and, and just uh, the way these things go sometimes, it ended up uh, uh, coming to Showtime. But that really began the process of developing it into a Showtime series. And, uh, and Howard and Alex are magnificently talented writers, and it was so much fun to just you know, keep, keep spurring them on to go further, go deeper, and particularly because they had just come off 24, which was you know where, where the emphasis had to be on these really interesting plot twists, surprising plot twists, and... The spec script of Homeland certainly had that, um, and what I think we were able to to do with very little coaxing because of their incredible ability was to get them to make the, the the surprises within the characters as compelling as the plot twists. And in fact, Carrie Matheson in the original spec script, had no issues she she simply was a CIA agent with uh, who knew a secret who had been told a POW might have been turned um, but personally was kind of a blank slate and um, and she's one of the most fascinating characters on television so
6: I mean I, I think that I mean all artists are different so we try and really tailor the kind of creative process around what their needs are and how they respond because you you can't have a one-size-fits-all communication policy. You've got to get in there. You got to figure out what makes them work. You really have to earn trust. Um, so I always feel like the most critical phase is the early phase. You know, in terms of making creative choices and you know demonstrating that you're, you've created a safe space for them to work. And I agree. I think you know frequently um, at Hulu. A lot of it is, you know, letting writers trust their characters and, you know, letting things play out more um, versus, you know, most of us have grown up on, you know, 40, 50 years of a certain pace of storytelling, you know, and still getting them to kind of balance, delivering the entertainment value, but at the same time letting things breathe and be authentic. Um, and actually sometimes I think the fun of it is kind of noticing something off to the side that really sparkles. And having them put it more in the center.
5: You know, I, we engage in this. Um, I, I don't have too much to add. You know, you just try and get in, inside their process and try and help the creators make it the best show it can be. I mean, I mean, there's too many examples of, you know, I don't, I kind of like let the writers have, you know, sort of their. You know, I don't want to pat myself on the back for like, oh, I was the one who told them, to, you know, O.J. should. Not be guilty.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> um, so, you know, we we have those conversations all the time. I mean, I think well, you know, one, one thing that was interesting is when we before Noah Hawley came aboard, when we were developing Fargo. You know, we were very insistent that it it did not cont- have any of the characters from the movie, just because it was so. You know, it, it, it it's such a an incredible movie, and you—you you, know—it's too high of a bar to live up to. And so, uh, no, Holly was thinking, had thought about a Fargo pitch, but it was—you know—it was based on the movie, and and that was sort of a trigger for him to rethink it. And you know, and that was, you know, that was a good example of, you know, a, a note that sort of sparked something really, you know, really creatively excellent. Yeah, I, you know. Our philosophy
4: is always making sure the creator knows it's their show, our opinions, our opinions, and non-binding. So once they feel that, you know, we're not going to impose our vision or ideas, it's it's really just, you know, outside opinions for their benefit or not, uh, and let them make the decisions. And, you know, the, the only example I would give, and only because she talked about it, uh, I, I wouldn't, again, I don't want to pat myself on the back, and actually this doesn't make me look, in the third season of Girls, I told Jenny Connor, there's too much, there's too much, Jess was in therapy, I said, there's too much therapy up top, there's too much therapy, no, 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 disagreed, disagreed, so we let them do it, they shot it, and they came back, and they said, there's too much therapy, (laughs) can we reshoot it, Uh, and I said, ah, yeah, okay, you know, but I think after that, they were like, you know, let's let's, uh, pay more attention next time, so, um, That's it. But it it was an expensive way to... uh, (laughs) To to earn their trust. Right.
3: I do think it's really... That is very relevant because once you earn the trust of a creator, it turns into a conversation. I mean, we're never... I really am anti with my team, and thank God none of them are like this anyway, to be like on page eight, like strap in, we're going to give you two hours of notes and I'm going to tell you how to rephrase this. And that's like the opposite of of our style. So, to me it's what's the intention and if I get it, you know, the script or whatever it is piece of the pilot or the episode and if I'm not emotionally connecting to what their intention was, then we just have a conversation about it. Like, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not getting it. And if you build, like I mentioned, the talent relations piece earlier, it's so important to have these partnerships with everyone. And, you know, it's not possible with everybody. Sometimes chemistry makes that impossible. But when you have it, there's nothing better because they actually want to know what you think. And if you can talk to them about it in a way that's respectful, you're leaving the solutions to them, Maybe they want to throw some ideas at you back and forth. Depends on the person. So I've been lucky to have some great sort of creative partnerships like that in my career that really truly I think are the highlights like when I think back on my life I won't remember all these notes meetings and I'll remember this panel because it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't remember won- I- <laughs> I- yes I won't be thinking in my bed about all these things but I will remember these key relationships with uh, people like Ryan Murphy um, Brian Fuller uh, Dan uh, I actually have a really close relationship with Dick Wolf so so those things are the most gratifying to me in my career really alright I want
2: to open it up to questions of the audience so I'm just going to do one lightning round um, show on another network you're jealous of Fleabag that's wow. really good uh,
4: um, I loved OJ I thought it was great Westworld
3: <laughs>
4: What's with the pause? We all did, it. We all did it. There's so
1: much pain. There's so much pain in this because um, some of them started development in, at Showtime. Um, I, I, I want to give a, a, a salute to Handmaid's Tale.
3: I was going to, too. I could pick one on each thing, but I mean, Big Little Lies, sure. Homeland, you know. Greg, I have an
5: Emmy question. Are you entering Handmaids in the
1: unscripted or the scripted? <laughs> <color>? <laughs>
5: Document, documentary.
1: I will Reality say that series. you look at
3: these shows and um, not to hijack the question, but you look at these shows like Big Little Lies, Handmaids, even Homeland to some extent, there's these incredible women at the center of these shows and you look at what's happening with um, Wonder Woman and just this feeling of uh, you know wanting to tell these stories uh, built around women and authenticity and i just really love all of those shows that i'll, I just I'll also
6: add one thing I, as, as a compliment to you know my peers on the stage is you know we're not just in the business of you know original programming but we have a big acquired business um you know we want our viewers to kind of catch up on past seasons of the best of television and we've literally bought shows from every single person on the panel we this yeah. is us you know we have Signed up literally to buy every show that FX Productions makes, Homeland. So, you know, there's a lot of good stuff being made. Can I tell you something? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How much?
2: (laughs) Let's make a deal. All right, I'll turn it over to you guys now.
3: That we, a a trait that I want to possess or that a showrunner, I would like a showrunner to have? Either one. I guess both to be active listeners.
4: Yeah. I would say, you know, back to the the notes process, one of the um, mistakes that I see younger development executives make is you can't get invested in your proposed solution. We don't offer solutions. You just say, here's what's, you know, not making sense to us. But sometimes, when a younger development exec- executive or older one—it's uh, not just about the young—but uh, experience levels—they get, they get invested in their own, idea. their own idea, and you really have to, you know, guard against that because it's not about you fixing it; it's about the writer coming through that process on their own.
5: Yeah, it's not about like this this magical scene from a movie where you have the solution, and all of a sudden it's you know that's that's the 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 you know it it, it yeah. fixes everything. You know, we're not, especially on our shows. We're not. I mean, I'm not particularly interested in plot so much. Like, that's more for procedurals. You know, the plot is there just to serve the character. And I think if you're having, if you're dealing with that, you're likely going to have more discussions and conversations. And so, it really is about, you know, empathy, which you know, listening, being able to sort of understand someone's intent. And so, it really. You know, it, so it, it's being, like a lot of, huge part of the job is just managing people and being able to have a conversation with them and understanding
1: their intent. I, I think the other thing I'd say is keeping your ego in check. You know, I, I think uh, uh, if you're dealing with an artist, they know immediately if you're in love with the sound of your own voice and, and, you're, and you're trying to win the argument as opposed to it's about the work. And, and whatever you know, best idea wins. Uh, this isn't about anyone's uh, ego, and, and I think, I think you know. I mean, we, we have a, a terrific group of creative execs that that I'm lucky enough to, to have working for me, and uh, and I think to a person, it's um, it's always about the work rather than about their own ego. Great.
2: Next question.
4: or is it too, uh, Are
3: you caught up
4: in the business too much? I have to watch reality yeah. to get... And so Tiny House is on HGTV. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
6: There's a show on Vice called F That's Delicious that... Or Fuck That's Delicious. That's... Like, I'm obsessed with that show. So that's my guilt. That is truly my guilty pleasure.
5: Uh, I've... This is really embarrassing, but I will, I will just sometimes just... The kids and I will just watch Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives. That's not embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. (laughs) Bachelor. His his. What is that?
3: Bachelorette. Oh yeah, yeah. Love it. And the Bachelor. Go ahead. Is there a show that broke your
2: heart
3: to cancel that you just couldn't justify doing it? Yes, the new normal. Ryan Murphy. It was a comedy on our schedule at a time we just didn't have. We were kind of in a confused state, new on the scene at NBC, new management, a lot of great, beloved shows like The Office and 30 Rock and Community and Parks and Rec had kind of come to their end, and we were sort of grappling, and we tried some things with some incredible uh, pieces of talent and a great voice like Ryan, and I loved the show, and unfortunately, if it had hit now... The, the story would be completely different. It was just the, the measurement and the conversation around how to define the success of these shows was based on an overnight rating and a C3, which is the rating point which I get paid by advertisers for these shows. And it was rough going um, in that way. We'd kill for it now, and I really regret it. And it was a tough, tough emotional one for me.
1: Uh, you know, I would say... Every show you cancel takes a little bit out of you, you know, because you live with these shows. It, it, it could be years from pitch to, to pilot outline to drafts of pilots to finally deciding let's make it, casting it, filming it, sometimes doing some reshoots, then assembling a room and each individual story outline of an episode and, and draft and table read and rough cuts and, you know, and and. You get invested, you know, you really can't help it. And so every cancellation hurts without a doubt. His, not mine.
4: (laughs) My time.
3: (laughs) Someone else is crying about that.
5: terms of picking the next theme, it, it, the process is Ryan Murphy tells us what he's going to do and then we say great, that sounds awesome because it, it, it is uh, um, and uh, you know, I think it's I don't find it a challenge, I find it it's an opportunity and you know, our marketing um, team loves, you know they actually get some access to Ryan early on, even hearing things that we don't hear just to prepare for the marketing, but they love it. They get so, ex- they get so excited because they get to, they don't have to do the same thing every year. So um, to me, that model works really well. Look, I mean, it's, sometimes you gotta burn down the sets, you know, that's always tough, but y- you know, you get to start over and I think, you know, it gets everyone pretty excited.
2: How important is marketing for all of you? How, in- how early do you get them involved in shows that you care about? Can they make a difference in turning a show around?
6: um i mean i think it's really important to start the conversation with the audience really early um you got to try and you know really trigger an interest early on so they can kind of then build upon it um one of the things i think that's interesting for an on-demand platform is that we can kind of we kind of continue to market season two as season one um so we almost look at the first two seasons as the first season so we look at it not just in the opening day mentality, but over the course of the two years. You know, we might spend more money to market season two than one because we know we can bring people into the funnel on season one. But it's, you know, as we talked about, there's so much stuff out there. You you really have to stand out. And, and, and not just do the shows have to be creative, but the marketing campaigns have to be as creative as well.
3: And, you know, we're able to, you know... Tap into Symphony, which is, you know, the all divisions of NBC Universal kind of working in concert, promoting an idea or show through from parks to USA to Comcast. It's just everywhere. And it can really make a big difference. And also just getting out there early with a piece of viral material. You look at what's happening with some of the Will & Grace stuff that we're putting out and 25 million people watching, you know, pieces and sharing You see those trends. We obviously saw it with This Is Us, and we learned a lot in that process. So I think that fan engagement early can be done if you put together something incredible and you see the match get struck and people are leaning in and sharing and getting excited. That's just a great sort of sign that you're galvanizing a passionate community. your products changing as far as not just in Western culture or Europe or the... It is. I mean, we just finished our international screenings. They did go very well because we happen to have owned some big pieces for them, like big, you know, action, show like The Brave that's coming in on after The Voice, you know, big military heroic close-ended stories. But they still look for these Close-ended, bigs. They love a big star. You know, they want action, intrigue. You know, those kind of shows. the The rest of it is we've you know found other ways, like our partnership with Hulu, to figure out how to let these shows live on that aren't totally reliable. I mean, we don't own. This is us, so that was an unusual deal. But um, someone in the room has had a hand in that. But um, but it uh, it's you know it's it's tough. You have to figure another way. And That all comes down to this sort of looking at the financial performance of these shows when you can't rely on a huge number coming from international. But we had shows like Blacklist and Blindspot that are, you know, Warner Brothers and Sony uh, owned shows that were, you know, still tapping into a huge international number. And so the goal would be to as part of our diverse portfolio to have some shows like that coming out of our studio on NBC or other uh, networks. But it's, that's a big changing market also.
5: You know, in a perfect world, and what we like to have is, you know, our shows premiere globally around the world, you know, within the same day. Because, I, I mean, I think because of the, the Internet, it can be much a, a much even bigger conversation. So and that's the goal.
1: And, and it's been nice for us, you know, I mean, I've been at Showtime a long time. And, uh, and first it was building up Showtime in the United States. But in the last few years, mm-hmm. Showtime has actually started to become an international brand. And we now have output deals in, in several countries, in, in several continents. And, and, uh, and they are actually now promoting Showtime as a brand on their networks And making exclusive output deals to to be the the platform for our shows uh, uh, around the world. Craig,
6: I don't know if you heard, but there was a flying banner in Austin today saying. Uh oh. Yeah, um, well, we do listen to that. If we're going to kind of transfer a show from another network, it has to satisfy. There's a very specific set of circumstances, which is, as I mentioned, we have past seasons of shows that are premiering on other networks. So, for instance, the Mindy Project. Mindy was on Fox. Um, Every time a new season would premiere, we would get the old season. And we knew um, that our audience loved that show. So, when Fox decided that you know it wasn't viable for them to carry the show anymore, we knew quantifiably there was still a huge audience for it. So in a case like that, we knew it made sense um, to pr- pick up Mindy, the same with Nashville. a show that's on another network where we don't really have the past seasons, it doesn't really make sense for us. I mean I, res- I respect the passion of it, and I love. To see it because I love that you know some show you know almost every show is somebody's favorite show and I think that's great but in general you know there's often kind of brand connotations to that that we'd rather
5: just have our own shows Craig Carnival right there, oh, there's, there's <laughs> right there.
3: we had a show um, at NBC called timeless that in the meeting uh, and we loved the show. This is back to that how you evaluate success of these shows. We love the show produced by Eric Kripke and Sean Ryan. Beautifully executed show. A show that we knew there was a large, passionate core audience. You know, we had the, the opportunity for it on the network was at ten. Was it probably too late for a show like that that families might be wanted to watch together, maybe? Um, but we, you know, it was a Sony-produced show. We did have an ownership stake in it. We just looked at it at the end of the day. That was one of the ones that just wasn't that clear, but we did make the decision, given the schedule and the other opportunities that we wanted to give shows, that we had to let the show go, and it was tough. It was a hard decision to make, and the outcry from fans Really did make us not sleep well that night, and the next day we came back in the scheduling room, and we were just like, "This doesn't sit right with me. Like, I feel like this show doesn't, it shouldn't go yet. It needs, it needs, it needs to keep going." So we quickly made that decision, called them, and had them release that news. Everyone thought there was some conspiracy afoot. Oh. It, we were not that clever. We were busy doing other things. We had an upfront the next day. But it was, it was such a joyful moment to be able to reach out to those guys who were commiserating with all their fans uh, online and be able to say, the show's coming back. You guys figure out a fun way in the next 20 minutes to announce that to your, to your fans. <laughs> and that, those are fun days in a world where you know, there's a lot of tough, t- does tough, she, does tough she days. Did she
6: get an airplane? And fly around. Did you get an airplane and fly around. There's one, there's one
3: available. <laughs> so not that we, you know, oftentimes things are really not happening. They're deader than a doornail, and everybody's sending letters and doing things. But this just happened to be that perfect moment of kind of a regretful letting go of the show that then swayed it the other way.
2: Well, unfortunately, we've got to end it there. Thank you so much to all of you. Thanks to all our
3: presidents. <laughs> Thank you.